mind standing with me if you can. We are in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 18 this morning. Breaking into the story of Simon the sorcerer. And when Simon saw that the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me or sell me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, turn around, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go towards the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. How fast can you run? <laughs> so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone explains or guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He, speaking of Jesus, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he answered and not, neither opened his mouth. And in his hum humiliation, justice was taken away. And who will declare this generation, for his life is shaken and taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Is he speaking of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as he went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Nailed it. <laughs> and so he commanded the church to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and he baptized him. Now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. 
Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've left this historic event for us to ponder and consider. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit to teach us now that we might grow in the knowledge and the wonder of you. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated, please. So I love the true story from the Old South of a, a Jewish lady by the name of Helen Rosenberg, who many years ago was stranded late one night in Georgia on the beach. And um, it was the 1930s, and she wanted to go into a hotel, but uh, the hotels didn't, in that time in the South, didn't allow Jews to spend the night there. So she walked up to the desk clerk, and he looked at her and looked down at his book and said, uh, sorry, no room, the hotel is full. And she said, well, then how come the sign-out says vacancy? And he was embarrassed, he stammered, and he said, you know that we do not admit Jews. Now, if you try on the other side of town, and she stiffened, and she said, young man, I have you to know that I am a Christian Jew and that I love God. I believe in Jesus. The desk clerk says, oh yeah? Let me give you a little test and see what you know. So tell me, how was Jesus born? And she said, well, he, he was born to a virgin named Mary in a little town, a village called Bethlehem. And he said, tell me more. And she said, well, he was laid in a manger, and he stopped her and said, why a manger? And she said, well, because a small-minded person like you wouldn't give the Jewish lady a room that night to sleep in. And she got the room. <laughs> so we're breaking into the story of the gospel, first being taken out into the surrounding areas outside of Jerusalem. If you have been traveling with us, you know the book of Acts is about the first Christian church in the world, actually, starting in the city of Jerusalem. It began in chapter 1 with Jesus saying, uh, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit's come on you. Then in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came on them on Pentecost, and they began to speak in other tongues. And Peter stood up and gave a sermon that was so powerful that 3,000 people got saved. So suddenly the church went from 120 people to 3,120 people. He did it again a little while later and 2,000 people got saved. So the, the church is growing. But they're having growing pains and people are working out how to be Christians with one another in the church. And they were passing out food to the widows and there was a dispute, there was an argument. Those that were Jews who spoke Hebrew and those who were Jewish widows who spoke Greek. And so the debate was that one was getting more than the other. So the church decided to appoint seven men. And one of them is the guy we're reading about this morning. His name is Philip. This is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip the deacon. And he was appointed along with six of the guys to wait on tables, really, to pass out food to these widows. A humble job. There was another man with him, his name was Stephen, and we looked at him the last couple of times we were together, 
and Stephen was preaching, was arrested, and then was found guilty, and he was found guilty of a capital crime, and they stoned him, they killed him. So Philip decides to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, because that's what Jesus had said. He said that you would go into the world and preach the gospel first in Jerusalem, Judea, kind of the county around Jerusalem, and then Samaria, which is the next county to the north, if you will, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that's happening. The first seven chapters in Acts was all around Jerusalem. Now suddenly here in eight, we move from Jerusalem to Samaria and then to this eunuch from Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was literally called in that day the ends of the earth in North Africa. So this is being all fulfilled in this one section. So we believe in the God who intervenes in human affairs. He shows up often when we're least expecting him. A lot of the time when you or I are tempted to say, well, wasn't that a lucky thing that just happened? Or isn't that interesting that it was a coincidence? For a believer, there are no coincidences. There are only God incidences. And this is one of the most amazing divine appointments in the New Testament, I think. I love this story. Uh, God moves on the hearts of commoners and kings, and he makes these divine, divine appointments, at least two of them in this section. So this section breaks them into three parts, 18 through 25. It's about Simon, this sorcerer, this magician, this drug pusher, if you will, who's recovering, trying to. And then Philip, 26 through 30, who is taking the gospel to the whole world. And then, strangely, this uni that's from Ethiopia, a black man. And he's in verse 31 through 40. And he turns out to be the, the treasury secretary of the nation of Ethiopia, a very powerful man. So that's where we're going. Fasten your seatbelts. We'll do it kind of quickly, but let's jump in starting in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that through the laying of the apostles' hands, they prayed for people, laid hands on them. This is John and Peter. The Holy Spirit was given, and they were many miracles. And he said, so he offered them money. Ooh, wrong response. You can't buy things from God. I mean, think about it. What are you going to give the God who can make anything? I know, I'll give him gold. He made all the gold on the planet. Well, how about we give him silver then? <laughs> Same problem. How about some diamonds? He's God. And guess what? He can't be bought at any price. Not for sale. So he's trying to, Simon is trying to buy this gift of God. But the good news for you and I, it, it's all God's gifts are free. There's no strings attached. He wants to give them to you. He wants to give them to me. So there's no way to get into this Holy Spirit game with some religious rite, some custom, some tradition. You have to ask the giver for the gift. 
saying, give, or literally sell, he said, sell me this power. I like the power. I need some more power that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He saw the Holy Spirit as a useful power. This is, I'm just going to have more control and I I can rule more people. He's got it exactly backwards. You can't rule the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to rule you. He wants to rule me. And so we have to surrender to him. Now, this attempt is called simony in the English language based on this story. It is an English word, S-I-M-O-N-Y, and literally the dictionary says, buying or selling of a position or a privilege in a denomination. People are still trying to do that. Well, I'll, I'll just give a lot of money to a church or a religious organization, and, and then God will make sure I get into heaven. I'll buy him off. God's not impressed with that. Now, if something happens when you do get saved and you want to be involved in God's work, and you do want to give to what God is doing, but not give to get. He, in fact, gives. So Peter said, your money perish with you. Oh, Peter, that's a little rude. But it's ruder than that. Literally, it says, burn in hell with your money. (laughs) Oh, well, because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Your heart, it's always our heart. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. God reads our hearts like you and I read a newspaper or text on a computer screen. He knows exactly what we're thinking. Well, that's embarrassing. Uh, It is sometimes. But he knows that we're all the same. You see, this is a gathering here, you and I, of sinners. A whole room full of sinners. But we're in church, Pastor. We're trying to be good. Okay. But God knows that we all have sin in our lives. Are you saying you're a sinner too, Pastor? Paul the Apostle said he was the chiefest of sinners. John the Apostle wrote in John chapter 1, he said, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Now he's not saying just go and sin and have a great time. But what he is saying is that every one of us are in the same boat. We need the forgiveness of God which comes through a cross on Calvary when Jesus died on our behalf. So that's where this is going. So you have neither any part or portion in this matter, he says. It's not right. You're not right in God's sight. There is an invitation by God to come. It's Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, wait, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, the waters, refreshment of God, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So here's God's invitation to all of us this morning. If you're interested in God doing a work in you, then you need to meet these two requirements. Number one, You have to be thirsty. You have to desire to know God. Number two, you have to be broke. I don't mean financially. I mean you recognize spiritually that you don't have anything to offer God. That you come empty-handed. 
That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize that they don't have anything spiritually to give to God. You come empty-handed just as you are. You meet those two requirements, you're thirsty and you're broke, then you're in the right place. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without prices, not for sale, but come and surrender to God. He gives it to you. Now, some so-called pastors on TV say, well, if you don't give money to this ministry, you're not going to get blessed by God. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God wants to bless your life, but not so that you can buy it from him. You give to what God is doing in the world. You want to be part of that. But he wants to give it to you because he is gift. Simon's making a mistake people still make to this day that he's uh, wanted to rule the spirit of God. Give me this power so I can give it to whoever I want. But in fact, the spirit of God wants to rule him, wants to rule me, wants to rule you. So he missed this fact. The spirit is ruling in the hearts of people who surrender. Repent, he says, verse 22. Turn around, change your mind and your heart. Think again, is what it says literally in the Greek language. Metanoia, it's called. Turn around, think again. What you're doing isn't right. Change your attitude about life. What what are your priorities? What is it that's important to you? Reconsider Matthew 4.17. That's what Jesus said. From the time, that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, quote, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn around, change your mind. 2 Timothy 2.25, this is Paul writing, God perhaps will grant them repentance. It's a gift from God. Wow, I need to turn around. This isn't working. Guy in the last service came up and struggled with drugs. He said, my life is not working. This is a disaster. And I said, God can do that. God fix fix that. So we don't know what Simon did. It doesn't say that he did repent. There's a lot of early church historians who say that he didn't do so well. He didn't really repent. Verse 23, Peter says, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You're shackled by sin and you're poisoned by bitterness. He didn't forgive someone he cared about. What? That's not what it says, Pastor. Yes, it does. In Hebrews, it says that when you refuse to forgive someone, it causes a root of bitterness to grow in your heart and choke out your heart. So you and I have to forgive people. Oh, that's a really awkward problem because the people that I don't want to forgive don't deserve forgiveness. But that's not what God said. Forgive people who deserve it. He said, no, no, you forgive Ed because you have been forgiven much. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) You put it on that level. If you want forgiveness, you must give forgiveness. And then the shackles of sin will be broken and you'll be free. 
Not forgiving is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> You're going to be waiting a long time. So I, I came across this parable about bitterness that I think is good. It's about two hermits, two Christian hermits, and uh, they were going to visit a friend of theirs who had some crops that he needed help with bringing in. And so they're walking this long road, country road, and they come to a river and they start to cross and they look to the side and they hear someone. There's an old woman sitting on a rock and she's weeping. And one of them walks over and says, what's wrong? And she said, I, I have to get to my sister's house. She lives on the other side of the river, but I can't swim. And I, I'm not tall enough to make it through. And uh, he said, that's okay. Uh, what if we carry you? She said, well, how will you do that? I said, well, we'll walk our hands, and you can sit, and we'll carry you across. And she said, okay. And so they did it. They took her across the river, get to the other side. She's happy, but she was kind of heavy. And so they're both struggling, beads of sweat, to get her on the other side. And she goes off, and the one says, wow, that was a lot of work. And they start walking down the road. They go about a mile, and the first one says, oh, my goodness, my back is killing me. Look, I'm a dirty mess helping that old lady. Why didn't she just get herself up and go across the river? And the other one doesn't say anything. He just smiles. They go another couple of miles, and then a couple more. And finally, the first one that's complaining lays down on the ground. I saw my ache and back. I think it sprained my back. How come you're not unhappy? The second one says, well... I set her down five miles back. You're still trying to carry her. <laughs> Sound familiar? It's too close to home for me. So, let it go. Forgiving others, not an option. Verse 24, Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that these things which you have spoken may not come on me. I don't want this to happen to me. He seems to want to escape the consequences, not so much have a relationship with God. Verse 25, and one day, this is Peter and John, these two apostles, had testified and preached the word of the Lord. They talked about Jesus. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, you remember, were biased against Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans either. And when Jesus tried to go into a Samaritan village, John and his brother came back and said, they won't give us any place to stay or any food. Do you want us to burn the village down? <laughs> and Jesus said, no, you don't know what kind of thing you're talking about. That's not who I am. So now it is a few years later, and they're ministering to the people they wanted to torch the village up. Oh, they're changing. That's Simon's situation. Now Philip. So Philip is this deacon, and uh, he has also been up there preaching, verse 26. And now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Ooh, that didn't happen every day. It doesn't say the angel of the Lord. It says an angel. So this isn't Gabriel or Michael or one of the other angels that we know. This is Frank, okay? Frank the angel. And so he spoke to Philip and he said, Arise and go towards the south along the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a problem. So why an angel? How come 
the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak to him. He needed something big because things were going good in Samaria. He's the first guy to go there. He's preaching. People are getting saved. He's in this great place to start a church. I'm just going to stay here. I said, no, I have something much more important for you to do. It concerns one person. Well, it can't be that important, Lord. Oh, it is. One person. And you're going to watch this thing unfold. He says, I want you to go down towards Gaza. Now, Gaza is familiar to us because that's been in the news for the last month and a half. Here's a map. Notice in the very center is the green area called Samaria. That's the center of Israel. And uh, it's from there that he has to go down to Jerusalem towards the bottom. That's 40 miles of walking. And then he goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And that's 62, 62 miles. And so it's a serious walk. What would you do if an angel showed up and said, I want you to walk to 29 Palms? I know what I'd do. I'd say, got a limo? <laughs> so he's got 102 miles. Or how about Baker? You ever been to Baker? There's nothing in Baker. But it's about 100 miles out towards Las Vegas. And so he's going to have to walk. And he doesn't say exactly. He doesn't say go to the city of Gaza. He says go south. <laughs> well, how far? Just go until I tell you. Now, Gaza is one of the five Philistine cities that you can read about over uh, in, in the, the book of Judges. Uh, Samson fought there with these different villages. There were uh, a, a lot of them, and that was the Philistine area. So here it is, and he has a chance to do something. Arise and go. Now, this is actually a great section about missions. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You are a missionary. You've been called to go. Go means a change of location. It doesn't mean to a foreign country all the time. It, it might be to your neighbor across the cul-de-sac. You know? I was reading a, a book by uh, Pastor Bill Hybels, and he was talking about how he met his neighbor. He didn't even mean to go. The guy had moved into the neighborhood and he hadn't had a chance to meet him. And on Tuesdays, they, uh, the trash man comes. So Monday nights, he'd go, he went out and he was going to take his trash can out. He said it was cold, he's in Chicago, and he didn't even uh, put his shoes on. So he, he, he grabs the trash can, runs out, puts it at the curb, and starts to go back to the house. And he looks up and there's the neighbor putting his trash can out, too. And uh, not exactly a real spiritual moment, but uh, he felt guilty because he hadn't introduced himself to his new neighbor. And he felt like he was supposed to. So he put down the trash and walked over, stuck out his hand, and he shook the guy's hand, introduced himself. And, uh, and the guy said, I'm so-and-so, I own a car dealership. And he said, well, I'm so-and-so, I, I pastor a church. And he said, I don't go to church. And he said, well, uh, maybe you will someday. And they left it at that, and he went in. That, that was his witness. But the next Monday night, he went out, put his trash out, and he said the guy was putting his trash out at the same time again. 
So he went over and said, hey, how you doing, so-and-so? And, -so? and they, they talked a little bit. He said, for the next year, he thinks they put the trash out at exactly the same time. He thinks God set him up with this guy. And over the time, he invited him to church, and he and his family came to the church and got saved. Just with a trash can story, okay? So God says to you, go. He says to me, go. A change of location. And then when you get there, you got to open your mouth. Now, that's a problem. You have to talk about Jesus. You have to know who Jesus is. That's what's about to happen to this man. He asks him about a scripture that he's reading. But that's why you're here. Good job. You're here to learn the Bible. That's what we do here. We study the Bible. So that when you get into an opportunity and somebody says, well, what does this scripture mean? You say, well, you know what? Our pastor covered that just a couple of weeks ago. He's talking about this. And so you're on track. Keep going. So, in be, he, verse uh, 27. So he arose and he went. And he goes down to Gaza. Or he's on the way to Gaza. And as he's walking down this road, now I've been on this road many times. We go to Israel quite often. And uh, I've probably been on that road 20 times. There's nothing there. It's just nothing between Jerusalem and Gaza. But as he goes, an Ethiopian guy, a black man, is in a chariot. And it turns out he's a government official. He's the Secretary of Treasury of the nation of Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia was a lot bigger in the first century when this is taking place than it is today. It really covered all the way up on what would be the western side of the Nile River, all the way up to the Mediterranean, a huge nation. So he's the, the Secretary of Treasury, and he has great authority, it says. He's an important man under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace is not her first name. It means, it, it's a title, like uh, Pharaoh of Egypt, okay? So uh, she is the queen mother. That word means that her husband died, evidently, and her son wasn't old enough to take over the king. And so we have a woman, ladies, running the country. I was expecting a response. You're so quiet. Usually the women stand up and cheer. It's about time. Just kidding. Okay. So um, he had charge of all her money, all the treasury. And he come to Jerusalem to worship, it says. Now, a couple things go off here. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, and Leviticus 21, verse 20, it says that a eunuch can't go on the Temple Mount. A eunuch can't become a Jew. But a eunuch can become a Christian. And it's very significant in this guy's life that he has a, in this time, he has a copy of the book of Isaiah, which, by the way, is exactly like the one you have in your Bible. It is 66 chapters long. It's the second largest book in the Old Testament. And while he was there, he must have purchased this very expensive 66 chapters. When you roll it out, it's 27 foot long. If you go to Israel, you can go into the, uh, the room that houses the book of Isaiah in a, uh, in, in a container that's moisture proof. And you can walk right up and read it if you read Hebrew. Same thing. Word for word. And so 
uh, he's returning, it says, verse 28, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So he has this scroll of Isaiah. And uh, it's an important book because the one that he's looking at, chapter 53, talks about Jesus. Clearer than many places in the Old Testament. Secondly, three chapters later in Isaiah 56, it says that eunuchs in the new kingdom of God will inherit more than children, daughters, and sons, much more. They'll inherit eternal life. And so God has a promise built into this book that he bought. Maybe that's the reason he bought it. He'd read it or heard about it. Somebody told him. God saw his heart, and he went to reach a man who was out in the middle of nowhere, heading back to Ethiopia. Verse 29, then the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Whoa, wait a minute. This guy's an important government official. I've always had this picture of him riding along with a chariot, somebody driving one horse. No, no, no. This is a whole entourage. This is a caravan, just like when the Magi came from Persia to Bethlehem. In fact, if you go into Turkey and go on the road that goes east, the old spice and silk route, every 23 miles, there's a, an inn called a caravanzera. In fact, that's the same name that's used for the place that Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem, a caravanzera. They, they went that far because that's as far as the camel could go in a day. But they always took soldiers with them, well-armed. This guy's rich. And he's in this chariot. It's a big chariot. He probably has a soldier with a sword in there with him and a driver. And he's sitting down reading it. No springs in the chariot, okay? We found a lot of them. So he's (laughs) along the road trying to read the book of Isaiah. And Philip has to run up next to him. And he's worried because you run up to a government official that's a foreigner and you don't speak their language, you might die on the spot. So Philip ran to him. Run, Philip, run. And heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he starts with a question. And it's a great question. I would encourage you to use this question if you see somebody sitting in a coffee shop and you want to witness to him. He walks up and he says... Do you understand what you're reading? It works even better if they're reading the Bible, but anything. And uh, he's concerned. But Philip is a guy with passion. He's living his life as fast as he can. If I'm going to try it, I'm going to do everything I can in my power. I won't have to wonder later, well, what if I just tried harder? It reminds me of a song, a Christian song. Maybe you've heard it. The guy's name is Matthew West. It's called The Motions. And here's what it says. A few lines from it. Because I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything instead of just going through the motions. I think that's what Philip's motto is. He's going for it. 
And, and honestly, that's what I try and do. And I pray that it would impact you and that you'd want to do that. You only get one shot at life. Have you noticed? And this is it. This is the launching pad for eternity. What do you have as a priority in your life? Young person heading off to college, what do you think you want to do with your life? What could you do that would have the longest, deepest impact for eternity? Pretty clear. You go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, that sounds scary, Pastor. You don't want to go to a foreign land. You don't have to go to a foreign land. Somebody asked me the other day, what about the aborigine in the outback of Australia? Here's the answer. God will send somebody. He'll send you or me, and I hope it's you. I'm teasing. <laughs> I've been in a lot of countries in the world that were not pleasant, but God cares about one person, that's this whole story. There's one man who's honestly looking for God and he can't find it in Judaism. He can't become a Jew because he physically can't as a eunuch. But he can become a Christian. That's where this is going. You know what you're reading? Philip says, I'm into this. And the eunuch answers, no. How can I unless somebody guides me? And he asked Philip to come up inside the chariot with him. And Philip climbs on up. So God is working. He's brought together two men who live two months apart if you travel every day. That's how long it gets. That's how long it takes to get from outside of Jerusalem to outside of Abbas in Ethiopia. And God has brought them together on a road in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert that goes down to Gaza. So God says that if you seek me, you will find me. And that's what's going on here. The place in the scripture he was reading when Philip jumps up in the chariot with him is, it's actually Isaiah 55, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. He's talking about Jesus. And like a lamb silent before his shear, so he opened on his mouth. And Jesus didn't complain as he's going to the cross. In his humiliation, justice was taken away. Didn't get any justice. And who will declare his generation? Who, who will talk about it to this generation? Now, here, you and I. For his life is taken from the earth. He can't do it, but you can. And he wants you to do it. So this book, two chapters later, 356, says this. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant, the new covenant, even unto them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than sons or daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall live forever. So the eunuch has the book of Isaiah that has this prominence in it. 
but he's at just the right spot when Philip shows up that's talking about Jesus. So the eunuch answered, verse 34, asked Philip, said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or some other man? This being led like a lamb to the slaughter. Then Philip opened his mouth. See, that's the second thing. You have to go, and then you have to be willing to open your mouth and talk. You don't have to have all the answers. The Holy Spirit will give you answers that you didn't even know that you knew. That's what we're doing here. We're studying the Bible so you'll understand the grand picture of what God's doing on the earth. And you can say, well, Jesus died, and this is a prediction 700 years before it happened that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. So he begins there, and he starts preaching Jesus. Now, Philip was in Jerusalem. He knew Jesus. He'd seen him. So I can just imagine, what do you think Philip's saying? He said, let me tell you, I was with Jesus one day, and we're walking along, and ten lepers walked up, and everybody backed off and went, unclean, unclean. Jesus walks over and touches them, and they're all healed. And then we go a little further, and we go into this village called Nain, and there's a widow coming out with her son on a funeral pyre. He's died, and they're going to, a, it's a funeral possession. Jesus goes over and touches the kid, and he sits up. He was dead. Do you understand? D-E-A-D. And, and then we went to Jairus' house, and his daughter was dead, and Jesus pulled her up by the hand, and she stood up alive. This is the Jesus that this being, you get it? You think he was excited? Oh my goodness. So they go down the road and he's listening to this and he's buying in deeper and deeper and they come to some water. Wait a minute, stop the train. This is desert. This is no water. <laughs> this goes into Rahab that we've been uh, reading about the the, the way into the Egyptian desert at Gaza. That's the border crossing that they're using. And it goes right into the Sinai. It doesn't rain in the Nenget. And if it does, it's like one one thousandth of an inch. They're riding along on a chariot and all of a sudden there's water. Where did that come from? God needed water to baptize this guy, so he went... I don't know how he did it. <laughs> Maybe he made it rain for the first time in 47 years. So, what do I have? Well, what hinders me from being baptized? Verse 36, here's the water. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, always the heart, then you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Nailed it. There it is. And... That's what Romans 10.9 says. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Say it. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now the word baptismal that's used in the Greek language means to immerse. There was enough water in the middle of the desert that it was like a jacuzzi amount. They could go all the way under the water. I don't know. So, 
I know it's important to the Egyptian, I mean to the Ethiopian. And uh, now they come out of the water. How, how about this? The Spirit of God caught Philip away. Caught him away. Now, that word, caught away, is harpezo in the Greek language. It only appears two other places in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 12. Two, where um, I cannot tell whether I was caught up into heaven, Paul said, or not. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1.16, it says, And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of the Lord, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Translated in Latin, rapizo, or to, in fact, be caught up into the air. So, picture of the rapture. So baptism becomes important. I have a, a picture last time we were in Israel. These four guys were there. They're, they're pastors. And they get this, Ethiopian Coptic church. And they're in Jerusalem to baptize some people from their church because they know this story that an Ethiopian treasure was baptized very close to where they are. And that's the Jordan River, and there they are baptizing uh, people from their church in Ethiopia. So something has happened, and uh, it has worked its way down through the history of the nation of Ethiopia so that people still come from Ethiopia to be baptized there because they know the story of an Ethiopian treasurer who was first baptized there and brought the gospel to Ethiopia. Later we learn from early church fathers that uh, Bartholomew and Matthew went there and preached the gospel. In the fourth century, there was a huge church there. There is today, there's four Coptic churches, Ethiopian Coptic churches in LA. You can go and visit them. They're within driving distance. So, they, Philip is suddenly gone. Imagine if you're at a baptism that Pastor Greg is doing, and, and as soon as he baptizes you, you come out of the water and he's gone. Now, I don't know uh, how it happened. But it says in the next verse, he was found at Azotus. That's about 25 miles away. And uh, it's the ancient city of Ashdod, another one of the five Philistine cities in Gaza, and suddenly he's there. And uh, it's, a major, it's a major port to this day. But he goes from there, just, he preached his way up the coast, which means he went through Jaffa, and he came to this city. This is Caesarea Maritime. There's a Caesarea Philippi in the other side of the country, but this is an astoundingly beautiful spot. So when Philip gets there, he meets a woman, marries her, and has daughters, and he's still there uh, when we get to uh, chapter 21. We'll find Philip living in Caesarea, and I don't blame him for not leaving. God took him to the beach. He said, I'm staying here. <laughs> okay, so here's the history of Ethiopia in a nutshell. The Ethiopians believe that the queen of Sheba the queen of the south, literally, is in fact uh, the queen of is that went to Israel and was impregnated by Solomon. 
And so all the emperors since the first century have believed that they are great, 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 great grandsons of Solomon, the king. Now, uh, there's a picture here of the shield of Ethiopia. And right in the center, you can see a cross. And uh, there's a lion at the bottom. And it says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe that Jesus came from and the tribe that David came from. And this is the last emperor, Haile Selassie was his name. He died in 74, but he said he was the great, 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 keep adding all the greats up, grandson of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. And uh, we don't have any of his blood to run it through uh, the genetic processes that would be able to tell that, but uh, that's the history of Ethiopia. They still come to Israel to be baptized because God showed them his great love for this Ethiopian single man. In Matthew, uh, Jesus is speaking, 18:12. So what do you think, Jesus said? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he leave the 99 and go into the mountains to seek the one that is lost? We serve the God that will leave 99 in a safe place to go and seek out the one. Maybe you're the one here this morning. Don't leave this morning until you've done business with God. Would you stand please and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you call us out of darkness into light. And you show your heart and your love for this man who was several thousand miles from home and how you took one of yours to meet him so he could hear the gospel and respond to it. Most of us in this room have done that, Lord, so we're thankful. But we pray for any here who have not yet done it and pray that you give them the grace to surrender right now. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here, maybe God has been speaking to you about your life. The word sin and repent, all those things bother you. You know you're not walking with God. This moment is for you. We wouldn't do anything to embarrass you, but if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're gonna spend eternity with God, if you're ready to surrender your life to God, would you let me know you're ready by just looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't do anything to embarrass you. God bless you, young man. And we'll pray in just a minute. Anyone here behind the sound booth? God bless you. Anyone over here God is speaking to? Young lady, yes. God bless you. And you, sir, right in front of me. And you, ma'am, yes. God bless you. Couple, yes. God bless you. And you, sir, put your hand up boldly. Smartest thing you've ever done. Anyone else God is speaking to you? If I miss your hand, in the back, God bless you. I miss your hand, don't worry, God doesn't. He sees every hand. Those of you that raise your hands, we're gonna pray out loud with you to make it easy, to ask God to take your sins and forgive you. So would you please all speak out loud and say these words. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Those, amen. Those of you that raise your hands, we'd encourage you to go over these double doors. We'd love to give you a Bible, pray for you. Anybody that needs prayer.